Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Seth Kaplan is made possible with the support of Hotel Connections, the global leader in crew logistics and accommodations. Hotelconnections.com. Clear, a leader in touchless travel. Learn more at clearme.com slash airlines. Seabury Capital Group, global reach, global scale. SeaburyCapital.com and the Boyd International Aviation Forecast Summit in Cincinnati. Visit AirlinesConfidential.com to attend at a reduced rate. We also welcome your business's support. Info at AirlinesConfidential.com. I'm sure glad he's not my pilot hand-flying me on the river visual approach into Reagan National Airport. Yeah, more of that today. He's Ben Baldanza, former CEO of Spirit Airlines, who now teaches about how airlines work. Well, you're right about that, Seth. And when asked about the debate and what he thought, he said, what do you mean? Congress hasn't even decided whether or not to fund the airlines again or not. (laughs) He's NPR here and now, transportation analyst, Seth Kaplan. Yeah, that's that's the, the, the biggest debate in the world. The only thing happening in the world right now, right? Yeah, right. Uh, pushing back from the gate, this is Airlines Confidential, the show where we share the secrets of the airline industry and debate all the crazy things that happen in the airline world each week. Today, we're going to look at some interesting airline network moves, including, yeah, some additions. Hmm. Plus, we'll turn to the gossip column. If two airlines are seen spending a lot of time hanging out together, does that mean they might get married? First, though, let's prepare for the takeoff with the week's news. Yeah, Ben, uh, usually I wait until about the early, the middle of a month to dive into the Sirium schedules and look at the next month because it's also dynamic now. This is a new world where in the past, sure, four or five months out, you could basically see what airlines were going to be doing. Now you can't even do that usually four or five weeks out. But I noticed a couple of interesting analyses from elsewhere. Both of these also relying on Sirium schedule data, the same stuff that we use, uh, but these are by two other sources that I always enjoy reading. And and uh, the points guy, Ned Russell at the points guy, uh, did a good job of summarizing, first of all, something that I, I guess I hadn't fully appreciated, how much JetBlue has built up Newark. This is interesting. JetBlue has been at Newark for a long time, but they always seemed to struggle there in the past. I remember when they got rid of Newark, Tampa, if I recall correctly, a few years ago, that kind of thing. And now sort of quietly, uh, they've, I think it's like 16 new routes total between the previously announced ones and the the newly announced ones. They're at Newark. So it's become a big focus. And JetBlue sort of encircling Manhattan as the one airline with a big presence on both sides of the Hudson River there. United, of course, still the biggest airline at Newark. Delta on the other side, strong at both JFK and and LaGuardia. But JetBlue now with a sizable presence at Newark to go along with its giant operation at JFK and its uh, smaller operation at LaGuardia. So I found that interesting. And Ned also pointing out in that piece just a lot of non-hub flying that these airlines are doing. And we've talked about this a little bit in the past. Some of it's just sort of chasing leisure demand. Florida, that sort of thing. Although, uh, interestingly, we'll talk in a minute about how one airline seems to be pulling back a little bit from Florida. 
But, uh, but you know, that's just what they're doing now, a big reversal from recent years when it was all about retreating to their hubs. So here we are in the middle of a pandemic, and we think of airlines overall retreating, and they are far smaller than they were before, and yet adding more of this non-hub flying, the kind of flying that they had stopped doing, the legacy airlines anyway, uh, not too long ago. Uh, Brett Snyder, meanwhile, over at Cranky Flyer, he does this piece. It's uh, I love I love what he calls it. He calls it the Skeds of Airlines. He, he's got his, his blog. So and he, he puts it on, uh, uh, he kind of manipulated the old um, Days of Our Lives, for those listening in America, the, the soap opera. Uh, the, the famous announcer, like, sounds through the hourglass. These are the days of our lives. And so, so, so it, it's, it's just the cadence is good. The, these are the skeds of airlines. I mean, it is a, it is a soap opera nowadays, right? Watching. Uh, and so Brett noticed, first of all, that Alaska Airlines has cut more transcon flying quite a bit. Uh, Seattle, Atlanta, Seattle, Austin, if you consider that transcon, uh, Boston, Newark, uh, New York, JFK, Orlando, Raleigh, they're all losing one flight. Uh, Boston, San Francisco, and Orlando, San Francisco, gone entirely. Also cut some Thanksgiving travel. Uh, Delta cut a lot of Florida flying in November. I shouldn't say a lot, but, but, a, but a fair amount of Florida flying including from Atlanta to the big places like Fort Myers, Jacksonville, Miami, Orlando, Tampa, and, and, and other similar flying from its other hubs, from Detroit, Minneapolis, St. Paul, New York, JFK, and from New York, LaGuardia. So you wonder if all of the ads by others, and this is what I want to get to, Ben, have sort of, that it's just overdone in Florida. And so that's another big thing. Uh, Frontier, uh, is, is making some cuts in December already. Uh, Southwest, November and December. United uh, cutting across the Atlantic. Uh, so some high-profile routes, probably not one that anybody's, uh, ones that very many people are flying right now, which is you know, why it's happening, but Chicago to Munich and Zurich, things like that. Uh, Houston, Intercontinental, Munich, and so forth. So, uh so a lot of cuts coming, certainly, alongside with some of those uh, strategic ads. I don't know, Ben. At the start of all this, if you had just asked me to guess what would happen, sure, the overall cuts, I probably could have guessed because when demand is down, uh, then, then, of course, airlines are going to be cutting. But would you have guessed all of the ads? And are any of these – do any of these surprise you? Do any of them sort of smack as desperation – or are they just sort of what you ought to do with, with demand patterns shifting to where they are now? Well, it's a good question, Seth. And demand patterns are shifting so quickly that, you know, people are just trying things also, right? couple thoughts. Um, you know, Newark builds up in part because it's the only big New York area airport without slots. So an airline can just decide, I want to get bigger at Newark. And as long yeah. as they have a gate to pull up to, they can make that happen. Whereas you can't do that at Kennedy or LaGuardia. So that's going to drive growth. That's why you've seen like even Allegiant going into Newark and Spirit going into Newark. And, you know, Newark's the place you can grow in New York because it yeah. used to have slots, but lost its slots. And so if you go into New York, you go to Newark, right? Yeah. Um, another thing is, you know, before covid I used to joke that the New York to Florida broadly, the New York to Florida market was um, 
in like physics terms was like a gas, meaning it would expand to fill any container. Right. That's what a gas will do. They're like, if you put capacity there and and you got a reasonable price, people are going to go from New York to Florida because especially in the wintertime, everybody wants to get warm and a lot of good things to do in Florida. And there's just such an affinity between those places. I'm not sure that's true today. Although clearly Florida is a state that is being more aggressive about reopening than others. And so if you think about the fact that it doesn't make sense to go anywhere if you can't do anything once you're there, Florida is a place where you can still do some things, right? The restaurants are open and beaches are open, right? I'm sure there's compromises and all those things, but the things you would go to do in Florida, you still can do. So it doesn't surprise me that airlines are adding service to Florida when traditional services and their hubs and things just aren't filling right now. We've got these planes, we've got people, let's put them where they might work. And a place where they might work is Florida, just given that, you know, New York, Florida will expand to fill any container. I just don't know whether that statement is true anymore or is true in a COVID world. And my guess is that as people are adding and pulling back from Florida, they're just going to watch the numbers really closely. And if the Florida capacity doesn't work, they'll say, well, where else can I fly this plane? And maybe I'll try more Phoenix right now or something like that or more Caribbean or more something else. Airlines just, uh, there's such uncertainty in demand right now that being a schedule planner at an airline is a, it's almost a week by week event in terms of saying, where can I put planes that might fill? I was shocked when looking at the British Airways schedules and seeing all the flights they're flying into the U.S. And I'm thinking, who's on these planes between the U.K. and the U.S., like three times to New York and to Chicago and San Francisco and all these places. And and I don't know. I don't know if it's just cargo on the planes and, you know, a couple dozen people or are there a lot of people flying transatlantically? I can't imagine that's true right now. I thought it was interesting that Spirit made a public statement after United's announcement of their non-hub flying into Florida. They, I don't know if you saw a spirit statement where they basically said, we don't think this is any problem. We think there's plenty of demand and we've got great costs. And so the more the merrier. I thought that was an interesting statement for spirit to make. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I guess in terms of the BA stuff across the Atlantic, when you see United cutting Houston, Munich and all that sort of stuff, I guess part of it is that that demand just you know, consolidates onto some of what's left, but but I, but I agree. I, I I sure haven't been overseas. I haven't been very much of anywhere <laughs> this year. So uh, so yeah, you, you do wonder whether those flights are are rather full of passengers or whether they just are breaking even in terms of ver- well not breaking even, but covering their variable costs, at least with cargo demand and so forth. Henry Hartevelt uh, made an interesting comment in that Ned Russell piece in, in the points guy. So here I am study, citing the, the points guy, citing Henry. So it's a real uh, primary source journalism here. Uh, he, he, Henry says, in a way, this is the best time to test new destinations and new routes. If you don't take a risk now, it may be more difficult to do when things get back to normal and there's pressure to generate financial returns. So in other words, he's saying, look, things are such a mess now that sort of the usual rules, right? You're usually, if an air, if a route is losing like millions of dollars in, in, in normal times, that would be 
a problem. I mean, on one hand, you know, you'd be in much better shape as an airline, but on the other hand, you're looking at tenths of points of margin and all those sorts of things, whereas now all that's just out the window, right? And so it, it kind of in some ways is the time to experiment. And, and I, I found I found that comment interesting. And, and that's always true, by the way. Sometimes you can look at all the data in the world, but eventually, as you know, Ben, <laughs> from having run airlines, um, you just have to fly it and, and, and see what happens. And now, if anything, I guess that's maybe more true because throw the playbook out, throw the data out. Generally, there, there's, there's no precedent for any of this. Just fly it. What, what I mentioned, speaking of all these luminaries who we, who we cite sometimes here, uh, Gary Leff uh, of the View from the Wing blog pointed out something important that we should have mentioned, was it last week or two weeks ago? The When we talked about the frequent flyer programs and their heft, I think it was two weeks ago, and why, and why they're so much bigger in the U.S. than in Europe, so much just generates so much more revenue and so forth uh, than Europe and the rest of the world. Uh, I, I talked about they just have far more members in the U.S., so far more scale, more fragmented marketplace, certainly in Europe and, and some other places. That's all true. Gary pointed out another important point, which is that the interchange fees, basically the percentage that merchants pay to you when you use a credit card, right? So I think everybody knows when you use a credit card, you know, some percentage of that transaction doesn't go to the place where you're buying the stuff. It goes to the credit card companies, you know, well, they split it between the banks and the associations and the airlines, right? <laughs> basically. Uh, well, in, in the U.S., in terms of credit cards, it's basically not tightly regulated. But in Europe, it is. In Australia, it most certainly is. So those rates are capped. And basically... If a government tells you that instead of being able to charge, you know, two or three percent as a bank and a credit card association, and all the rest of it, you know, just sort of split the money, uh, you know, two or three cents of each dollar. If they tell you instead you could only take half a cent or one cent of the dollar, there's just not as much money to go around, right? So they make up some of that with like higher annual fees. I know in Australia the annual fees are really hard on the high on the credit cards, but just bottom line, there isn't nearly as much money to play with in the credit card game as there is in the U.S. And so I thought that was most certainly an important point. Yeah, the programs are bigger. Yeah, it's one market, whereas Europe is more fragmented and all the rest of it, true. But credit card interchange, the subject of intense lobbying, as you can imagine, uh, between business groups you know, that represent merchants who want to pay low rates on one side and the banks and the card associations. When I say card associations, I mean MasterCard, Visa, American Express, uh, which is also big, uh, and, 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 and the airlines on the other side, because airlines certainly uh, are, are, although to some degree they're on both sides of this, because they are merchants who pay interchange. Right? When, you, when, you, when you buy an airline ticket, the airline pays a, a, a transaction fee, and yet they are also the recipients of all those uh, billions of dollars that we uh, talked about. Well, um, time for our first listener question from who else? Joe in Tampa. I know I said we would give Joe a week off, but this is a good question. Also, he said something really nice here, and I, I just couldn't resist putting it in the show. Joe writes, hi, guys. Love the show. Would love to hear Seth's singing again. That can't be true. So there, so there you see. It's a total conflict of interest here, <laughs> me putting this in the show. Or better yet, he reads a Delta MD-88 safety demo script. I would love to do that. 
you're traveling with small children and others and you assistance. Yeah. My question this week, Joe says, is American Airlines and Alaska possibly getting engaged? With Alaska joining One World in 2021, could there be another airline marriage in the world? And then he follows up with a second question. He says, well, well Alaska, this is interesting too, Alaska have been better off letting JetBlue buy Virgin America. So the first question, yeah, I know people, it's, it's, it's a, of course, there's a tendency to say, look, I see those two airlines getting closer. Uh, does that become, I, I guess the question is, is Joe reading too much into that in Alaska joining one world? I mean, there are lots of airlines and alliances together that are not merged. Uh, of course, the difference here is that these two are not prohibited from merging just from a very basic standpoint of like being from different countries, right? They're from the same country. Uh, and I think it's reasonable to say that in this environment, however difficult it would have been to get regulatory approval for a merger in the past it might be easier now because airlines for the first time in a number of years can credibly say look we're 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 struggling here and we need the merger to get back on our feet what do you think about that ben Uh, likely or at least more likely or just no reading too much into something and it's just not going to happen i think it's probably reading too much into something let's talk about a couple ideas here first of all alaska you know used to have co-chairs with lots of people the joke in the industry was they were the Switzerland of airlines, right? They were aligned with everybody. Right. And, and, they, still, and they still do. And they still do have a lot of those other, those are coach. Obviously they're, 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 you know, they, they're aligning themselves much more closely with, 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 uh, with what Alliance so now, but yeah, but uh, absolutely. No, that's right. But that's also been thought of as a strength of Alaska. Yeah. They may yeah. face less competitive pressure overall because they're just friends with everybody. Delta sort of upset that apple cart a bit when they said, well, I know we've been friends, but we're going to, try to take over your hub now, <laughs> right? <laughs> when they started growing in in, in Seattle. And, yeah. you know, whether that... Of course, was- of course, I should say, Delta would say that Alaska provoked it by not working with it more productively to feed its traffic. Alaska would retort, well, you just wanted ridiculous terms. You wanted us to to, uh, to accept uh, far, far less revenue than we could get on the open market. So yeah, that's, no, that's, that's a whole right. other fascinating story. But anyway, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Keep going, Ben. No, that's okay. And, and so I don't know whether it was the, uh, whether it was Delta's move that sort of pushed Alaska into Americans' arms in terms of one world. But if you think about it, I mean, um, U.S. Airways and United were both in one world, and those airlines never merged. American and U.S. Airways had a deal for a while that wasn't that wasn't a broad alliance base, but it was frequent flyer and and code share and things like that. And those airlines never merged. Airtran and Frontier for a while had a deal that wasn't really a code share, but they sold each other on their websites and things like that. And those airlines never merged. So I think there's a lot of reasons for Alaska and American to talk as one world partners on consistency of how to treat travelers, of technology sharing, things like that. And I think thinking that, uh, you know, a meeting between American and Alaska is more likely to think that maybe they're going to merge. I think that's way, way overthinking it. I also think that even under the current administration, um, and whatever the administration in a few months from now is, uh, I think it would be hard for American, United, or Delta to buy an airline the size of Alaska. I think there are concerns right now that, you know, you have four airlines in the U.S. that 
Pre-COVID, we're carrying over 80% of all the traffic in the U.S. And to make one of those carriers even bigger doesn't mean it can't happen. And certainly in a time when the industry is struggling, that creates a momentum to be able to do something that you wouldn't be able to do in good time. So in that sense, that's true. But I just think, I think American being allied with Alaska through One World, having code share on their flights, having frequent flyer reciprocity, having customers being able to benefit from the two networks. I, I think that is kind of what it is. You've seen publicly the announcement between JetBlue and American talking about ways that JetBlue will do more flying for American in the Northeast and maybe relieve American of some of its losses in the Northeast. Yeah. But I don't think anybody has interpreted that as the fact that American and JetBlue are going to merge either, right? It's, right? I think all these things are just sort of, you know, fun to talk about maybe around the water cooler. But the reality is, is these airlines are focused on keeping their companies alive, on generating positive cash flow, doing what they can to keep as many people as employed as possible when they're looking at potentially big layoffs right now. So I think the talk of any kind of merger like that is just way, way off. And I wouldn't look at a sign like that and say that suggests something might be happening. It's good office cooler fodder, though, for Joe, for anybody who's actually still going into the office and hanging around by the cooler. (laughs) Exactly. And that's a good point that mergers in bad times tend to result in job losses, whereas mergers in good times, you know, the last couple of the airlines were basically able to promise, hey, no frontline job losses. and, And we you basically saw that. So Joe's other question, will Alaska have been better off letting JetBlue by Virgin America? Fascinating question. I mean, there's no question that they, they spent $4 billion on an airline that had basically never made any significant money. I mean, it was a defensive move. There's no question about that. And so interesting to say, I mean, look, there's there's no question they wish they didn't have to spend $4 billion by Virgin America, weakened their balance sheet, it distracted them for a while absorbing it. But overall, Were they better off or not? Well, I mean, today you can say that any deal you've done, like, can you go back? I mean, Onyx, the big um, private equity firm in Canada who bought WestJet, did they wish they hadn't bought WestJet, right? Yeah, probably. (laughs) Probably right now, right? I mean, long term, that may prove to be a good uh, bet for them, but it's certainly not the projections that that they were looking at when they decided to buy WestJet. So... With, with perfect hindsight and seeing the uncertainty that we're in right now, you can look back on deals that any airline has done and say, would they like to rethink that? Would American want to order Del- all Delta, the airplanes okay. they ordered? Right. right. Would, would, would Delta want to spend $2 billion buying 20% of Latam, right? No, right, no. Right, like, right before, I mean, like like just before all of this, yeah. No, that, that that's exactly right. And uh, a group led by Bain and others buying Virgin Australia, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, you look at all these things and say, with perfect hindsight, would you want to do that? Probably not. Do, uh, right. You, you, and and, and if, for, if for nothing else... Maybe you could get a lot cheaper if you just waited till after COVID. But who knew that, right? Right. And so at the time Alaska did that deal, they were really buying real estate and they were buying presence. One of the realities of airline economics in the United States is that access to big cities is difficult, and there are limited gates. Even the air, even most of the air, though most of the airports don't have slot controls. There are limited gates at a lot of big places in the U.S. And you want to grow in Chicago? That's hard to do. 
You want to grow in Atlanta? It's hard. In Dallas, yeah. it's hard. And in LA and San Francisco, it's really hard. And one of the things that Virgin had was they had gates and they had facilities that Alaska felt they really could use and had no other way to get. So if you look at it that way, I don't know that Alaska would say it was a bad deal that we did this, but certainly do they wish they didn't have to pay what they had to pay for sure. Never forget, this is largely a real estate business. Yeah, those airplanes fly in the sky, but uh, it's that real estate on the ground that uh, also adds up to fortunes or not for, for well, airlines around the you world. Know, one of the best movies ever, I think, is that movie called The Founder, where uh, talking about Ray Kroc and McDonald's and one of the many great scenes in that movie. Somebody says to Ray Kroc, the, the actor playing Ray Kroc, he says, you know, you, the problem is you don't understand what business you're in. You think you're selling hamburgers. You're in the real estate business. Yep. <laughs> and that sort true. of completely changed the way McDonald's thought about things. But that's true in the airlines, too. You're right, Seth. Time next for passengers behaving badly. But first, we want to thank Clear. Travel with confidence with Clear. Touchless, fast, safer airport travel. Clear's touchless identity verification is available in 34 airports nationwide, moving you quickly and without crowds through airport security. Enroll today at www.clearme.com slash airlines. That's www.clearme.com slash airlines. Time now for passengers behaving badly. And I want to say in advance that although this one is unquestionably bad behavior, I also don't want to make light of it because there's something sad going on here. It's not just some idiot who got drunk and got into a fight on his way to Cancun or the Canary Islands or somewhere. This happened on a Korean air flight from Seoul to Seattle. A Seattle area businessman being called a hero for subduing a man who was banging on the cockpit door. This according to King 5, the NBC affiliate in Seattle. Gene Parente was asleep when a flight attendant woke him asking for help. Uh, court records say the man involved suffered from mental illness. Parente described it as what seemed to be a psychotic episode. The man who was upset, decked a flight attendant, then got into a fist fight with Parente. Parente and the flight attendant subdued the man. They, they tied him up with twist ties. Luckily, the flight was only 40 minutes out of Seattle at that point. The man was, of course, arrested when the flight landed. Uh, I, I don't know whether I'm surprised that this happens or that it doesn't happen more, given just all of the things that human beings struggle with in the world. Well, I agree, Seth. And do you know why the flight attendants asked him to help? Was he was he known? Was he big? Was he known to be of you know a um, a police officer or a serviceman or or something like that? Is there a reason they looked at him and said, "Can you help"? They did. the The article did not describe that, so I can only imagine they needed another set of hands, and that he, yeah, some, something about his his physical presence made them think that he. The, the article goes into describing the, the sort of the fight and everything. I mean, it sounds like he he probably was uh, somebody who, at least stereotypically, you would have thought could. Uh, could could be helpful. Certainly, yeah. if a flight attendant asked me to help, I would say, "Sure, what can I do?" I just don't right. think they would ask me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, me me neither. Yeah, I'm not sure. Not sure. Right, I'm ha happy to do what I can. That that is uh, that's my guess. Is that there was for whatever reason because they walked back a number of rows to wake him. I, I that's all I can imagine. I don't know if they had had an earlier interaction with him that made them thought he was a particularly helpful person as well. But for whatever reason, uh, he was right because it's not your right it's not like hey is there a doctor on board right where, where it's a, a certain clear skill set uh, but uh, he he got the call and, and it sounds like he uh, he did 
good word. And he, it sounds like he did it as sympathetically as he could. He talked about it. He could tell there just wasn't something right about this guy. So he's trying to save everybody, but, but also understand that there's just something clearly wrong there. But a, a, a sad incident. And, and let's just sad. hope that that man gets the help he needs, because obviously this wasn't just about what went on on that flight well so, and thankfully it looks like nobody on the flight was hurt either though although exactly. it was an upsetting event for all of them yeah no absolutely thank thank goodness everything ended as well as it did at least well up next some more information about the prohibited airspace over washington plus some more information about the prohibited airspace over washington more airlines confidential is next Seabury Capital is a specialty finance and investment banking firm boasting a 25-year track record of advising key clients in aviation, aerospace and defense, maritime and financial services, and technologies. Their award-winning and widely respected team has superior industry knowledge along with state-of-the-art analysis, technology, and solutions, as well as an unmatched depth of relationships with decision-makers in industry, finance, and government. Explore their global reach and scale at seaburycapital.com. That's seaburycapital, S-E-A-B-U-R-Y, capital.com. The Airlines Confidential Podcast is now available on Apple, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Pandora, Spotify, TuneIn, and many more. Use your favorite podcasting app with just one click at airlinesconfidential.com. I'm Seth Kaplan. This is Airlines Confidential. Back to the mailbag now. Michael of Grapevine, Texas. Right. Actually, you know what, Ben? Before I read this, this is a long one, and we've got a couple of these. I'm gonna we're at cruise altitude. I'm gonna turn off the fasten seatbelt sign. And if anybody needs to get up to move out the cabin while we're doing this, I'm gonna give you permission to do so because uh, I, I don't know if everybody's as fascinated with stuff as I am, but. Michael writes, it is the morning of October 1st as I listen to your podcast, so I appreciate the diversion from the cataclysmic hellscape of job losses in our industry this morning. Normally, your show is awful, but I listen anyway. You're welcome, Seth, he writes. That's because (laughs) I tell people they're welcome to tell us bad things. Uh, Anyhow, I wanted to talk a little bit more about P-56. As we all know, that's the prohibited airspace uh near dca and add some color to the discussion so let's have some fun there are two separate problems with dca departing on runway one and the river visual uh landing on runway 19 departing runway one is the easier of the two to explain during departure most of us are hand flying the airplane there's a pilot obviously hand flying the airplane at least until the minimum autopilot engagement altitude yes we're following the river visual path but we're also looking outside the airplane to make sure that we don't stray east of the river with the aircraft in a climb pitch it's challenging to look over the nose without really stretching to lean up and look out especially for a short guy like me so there will be times when either due uh to programming error or the division of attention while hand flying you drift a little further than you would like to the east stuff happens we are a hyper vigilant so hopefully it doesn't happen too often but remember Flying is similar to boating. We've all watched boaters attempt to precisely navigate their vessels in high seas and choppy water. Uh, as precise as navigation is, we are still dealing with a moving air mass. Uh, and there's more. What I'm going to do is save this because uh, it, there, there's so much. We'll, we'll do another piece of Michael's letter next week. Uh, Michael writes, 
I drew a nice picture to go along with this letter, but there's no way to attach it. So you'll have to use your imagination. Well, it's, a, it's an audio podcast anyway, right? So, so, so that wouldn't do any good for the listeners. Uh, cheers and thanks for the great podcast, Mike. So Mike apparently actually does like the podcast. He was just uh, giving me what I asked for. Uh, some, some ribbing there. Got this text from my cousin Ross, who's a pilot. Uh, he says, uh, according to the Secret Service, there have been quite a few violations over the years of pilots flying into P-56. And it's usually airlines clipping the edge of it when departing runway one, something Michael just said. We have to start the turn almost immediately off the ground. Otherwise, our wingtip may violate it. The departure procedure was actually changed last year because of this. Our understanding is that there's a Secret Service agent or some sort of liaison located within the ATC facility, air traffic control facility, so they can quickly talk to each other if somebody wanders into the airspace. If the controller can't answer why somebody's violating uh, P-56, then the Secret Service has to make a split decision about what to do with it, uh, do about it rather, which may include lethal force. However, they're very unlikely to resort to shooting down a passenger jet. Uh, unless we're on a direct collision course for the Capitol or White House or something like that. Uh, if we're climbing, it'll probably factor into the decision. Uh, there have been direct gross violations in the past where a pilot faced consequences, but those consequences weren't being shot down. Thank you, Ross. So all kinds of uh, interesting information here. Very clearly, it's a lot more technocratic than just the fighters scrambling and you know, shooting down the uh, 737 inbound from <laughs> Miami. Well, you know, <laughs> Seth, there's, there's, there's a good phrase that uh, I'm not sure who originally said it, but that says, don't ascribe malice when ignorance just as equally can uh, explain why somebody did something. <laughs> yeah. And, and it looks like that that's what they take a lot of these, you know, accidental incursions into P-56. They say, look, we're not – we can see the way this plane is moving. They're not trying to attack anything. This is just someone who got a little off course and let's talk to them and get them back on course. Yeah. And something tells me somebody's going to write in telling us the precise quote and who said it next week, because we can't seem to get away with anything. Without, so, so, well, I would so appreciate that actually. <laughs> and, if they, and if they weren't going to, they are now because I said that. Well, do you have a question for us? You can call us 305-379-7429 and record a question. We'll play it on the air. You can email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or you can jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. Finer wine is next, but first we want to thank Hotel Connections, the global leader in crew logistics and accommodations. Hotel Connections is a Fortune 1000 company and procures more than 30 million rooms annually on behalf of their clients. Hotel Connections makes travel management easier and less expensive with their AI-powered booking applications, intelligent learning algorithms, customizable rules engines, analytics, and global negotiated rate programs. For travel, logistics, hotels, transport, and technology solutions, visit hotelconnections.com. That's hotelconnections.com. We should say also that if anybody's sitting on the fence about going to the International Aviation Forecast System in Cincinnati, a forecast summit rather in Cincinnati, it's next week, October 11th through 13th. Uh, you can still get in in person. I see they have, it says four spaces left. I know because of the social distancing, they had to control that like everything. Just like you can't just go to the zoo one day or you know, that kind of thing in a lot of cases. You, 
they, so they they have to be strict about that. Uh, there are also some uh, virtual spaces still left, more of those as as you might imagine. So either way, if you jump on our website, there's a link you can click through and book that. Ben will be there in person. Our friend Charlie Shapiro, who's who's the the our third partner, you know. Here, well, you do hear him on here. He's the, he's the announcer voice, uh, very important part of the show. Even though it's Ben and I, you know, talking also, he'll be there with with Ben. I will be joining virtually, which these days you you can do when the dates change. I just wasn't able to uh, to to get there, but that's the that's the magic of it now. Uh, most speakers, including airline CEOs, are going to be there in person. A few virtually. However, you'd like to go, uh, you, you can still do it. And again, the easiest way is probably just to jump on our website and click through. But you could also just search International Aviation Forecast Summit, you know, Cincinnati, whatever you want. It'll it'll take you there. So I'm looking forward to it. I uh, wish I could be there in person, but virtual, uh, better than nothing. Well, be- uh, Seth, Seth yeah. please dispel the rumor that the reason you're not going to be there is because you couldn't find a flight from Harrisburg to L.A. and back to Cincinnati. <laughs> you caught me, Ben. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually tried to buy a round the world ticket. Uh, uh, you know, one of those, and and uh, go the long way around to, to Cincinnati from Harrisburg. <laughs> but uh, but but it's a little bit tough to get the proper connections nowadays in a COVID world. Well, beginning our initial descent on today's show, it's time for fine or wine. We listen to an actual customer complaint, then we talk about whether a complaint is fine. Or if they're just whining, Ben, you have a complaint, and because these days this matters, I'll spe- I'll specify that this was filed on July sixteenth, twenty twenty, the middle of July, because there are things that you know might have been okay in March or April that became less okay later, and so forth. So just keep that in mind as as Ben reads this complaint. So yes, Seth, Pamela of Philadelphia is complaining about American Airlines, the largest airline in Philadelphia. (laughs) Pamela writes, we recently returned to Philadelphia from West Palm Beach, Florida. We were very hesitant about flying during the pandemic, but after reading American Airlines' commitment to passenger safety, we felt they were doing everything possible to ensure safety and decided to take the flight. My husband and I purchased first class seats in the first row. We decided we would able to board. We'd be we would be able to board last and exit first, which made us feel even safer. When everyone was on board, the flight attendant made an announcement, made an announcement stating that everyone's face covering must be worn throughout the entire flight, and if not, you'll be banned from flying American Airlines in the future. This also gave us a sense of security. So so far, so good, right? Yeah. Well, we noticed when we walked into the airplane, the flight attendant didn't have her mask over her face. She had it hanging around her neck. We realize it takes a lot of getting used to, and at times we may forget to cover up. However, this was not the case on our flight. Our first class attendant never once put on her mask on her face for the three hours. She left all of us passengers at a health risk. I started a live chat with American Airlines from my phone while all this was happening to ask them what the protocol was for their flight attendants. The answer I received was that the flight attendants are required to wear a face covering, just like the passengers on every flight. I sent an email to their customer service, and the answer was less than concerning over this incident. Seems to me the rules only apply to the passengers and not their employees. Thank you, American Airlines, for putting our health at risk. Wow. Well, uh, clearly in the minority there, this flight attendant, because I, I, from my very limited experience flying, I've literally been on, let's see, 
I've been on three flights since COVID. I was on one leg on Southwest and and two on American a couple months ago. Everybody was wearing masks, passengers and and crew alike. And that's you just don't hear that much about this. But what do you think, Ben? Fine or whine? Well, this is clearly fine. There's no whining here at all. And in fact, this morning, Sarah Nelson, um, one of the heads of the National Flight Attendant Unions, was on Squawk Box. And uh, she was talking about aid to airlines and things like that. But she even mentioned in her talk, she said, airlines are doing the right thing. Everybody on the airplane is wearing masks. Flight attendants are really diligent about this. And one of the challenges with the flight attendant role or the pilot role or things like that is not a lot of people see what's actually happening on the plane except the people on the plane, right? The supervisors of these flight attendants on this particular Palm Beach Philly flight um, clearly wouldn't have accepted that kind of behavior to never put on the mask or have it hang around your neck. But unless a customer tells them How do they see it, right? It's not like they have cameras and they're watching all these people, but you hire people to be professional. You hire them to follow the rules. You counsel them if they don't, and eventually maybe there's even stronger consequences. But this is clearly a case in July. I can't imagine that that the flight attendants would have been that um, insensitive and that tone deaf to say, we just won't wear our masks right now on an airplane. That's really crazy. This customer is 100% right. They should be blaming American for this. And those flight attendants, if they did what this customer says, should be counseled by Americans, flight attendant people. And I bet they probably would do that if they knew about this. Right. And apparently there's one flight attendant that they're talking about here. But absolutely. I mean, look, the flight attendants in general, you don't have to tell them twice to do this. I mean, they want to be safe. They were... Yeah agitating Earl well, when there was still sort of question about the effectiveness of masks. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to remember now, right? But there, there was early on, you know, there were questions about, about that. And we know, I mean, as the president keeps saying, of course, this is old news now, but, but uh, you know, early on, Dr. Fauci said we didn't need them. Uh, clearly we all know now what's right. But when there was that ambiguity, you know, flight attendants were flying around uh without masks and with customers who are maskless. And in retrospect, they were in harm's way, like everybody else in the world who, who wasn't wearing a mask as the virus is spreading. And once it became clear that masks help, you know, flight attendants in general, I mean, anybody I've talked to, certainly, they were as adamant as anybody about the need to wear them because the masks protect the flight attendants uh, as well as the passengers uh, the difference being that flight attendants are up in the air all the time right so they have more exposure so masks at least as important for them as they are for customers and that that clearly an exception there because most flight attendants i've talked to and just from everything i've heard from people who fly more than i do these days is that uh, there doesn't seem to be any reluctance on the part of most people well and and to be clear Seth, most flight attendants in on all u.s airlines do a terrific job they're very good at their job they take their job very seriously and they're not going to put people in harm's way intentionally these The flight attendants in this particular example were clearly the exception, not the rule. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, on final approach now, that does it for Airlines Confidential this week. Please 
Fasten your seatbelts and ensure your seatbacks and tray tables are in their upright and locked positions. And remember, we'd love to hear your questions at 305-379-7429. Or you can email us, questions at airlinesconfidential.com. Or jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website from the Airlines Confidential Studios. I'm Seth Kaplan. And I'm Ben Baldanza. And if you're in Cincinnati at the Boyd Conference and you're a listener, please come up and say hello. We'll both be wearing our masks, but it'll be nice to meet you. Talk to you soon. (laughs) This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.